remember I was checking in and I was Googling and I was like, somebody, didn't anybody do this yet? Like, why didn't they do it? Or, you know, what am I missing here? Or, you know, what can be done? Or, and then eventually when I realized that nobody had really done it in the way that I sort of started having this picture in front of me of what it could be, I thought, well, I have to try and again. I may fail, I may succeed, but I have to try. I have to sort of go with this feeling that I have within me and just, you know, take that leap. From Something Great, it's your team. A show about trailblazers, founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, and their stories. Everyday routines and the importance of having one that works for them. I'm Ruana, and on today's show, we'll be discussing routines. Because balance doesn't mean you have to do the same thing day in and day out. From planning to proactively seeking what works best for you, how Endbright is providing a space that allows for closure and a fresh beginning with founder Charlotte Young. Endbright is Sweden's first online platform that provides hands-on digital service for divorce and separation planning. Statistically, 50% of all marriages in Sweden end in divorce, and some 200,000 people separate or divorce every year. After going through her own experience, Charlotte wished for a community that could help her through her divorce. When she couldn't find it, she created it. And Bright Today engages with a team of professionals in various roles. With 2,000 members and growing, their services provide a variety of support materials from daily articles, checklists, planning tools, and hands-on counseling on services within legal, financial, and well-being. Charlotte, thank you so much for making the time to speak with us today. I am super excited that we get to cross paths. Um, I know by chance um, we stumbled upon your profile on the Han Network. And for those who don't know, the Han or her online network is this new authentic way for women to connect professionally. The platform provides you a variety of ways to be in touch with women all over the world. And it's just really a great tool to inspire, share, and make these type of connections. So I'm really glad that we've um, crossed paths. So Charlotte, tell us, where are you dialing in from today? Um, I'm in Sweden. So I'm in Malmo, which is in the south of Sweden. It is uh, right across from Copenhagen in Denmark. I, I can see Copenhagen from my window, basically. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> has it been very tough over there during the pandemic? Um, it has been, especially lately, it's been getting worse. Sweden had a sort of a very liberal approach to COVID all spring, summer. And um, it seems like it's somewhat backfired. <laughs> so <laughs> there's been a lot of sort of heavily um, introduced restrictions just in the past couple of weeks. Just, um, I think it was just yesterday or the day before yesterday, they closed the borders um, to Denmark, which is, it's tricky because there's so many people sort of commuting back and forth. Um, so, but you know, we're like everybody else around the globe, you know, you just, you deal with it and you accept it and, and um, it is what it is and, you know, trying to stay safe and, and healthy and well. And yeah. so, so tell me just a little bit about routine. I, I, um, I uh, checked out the website and some of the social media. It looks, it's absolutely beautiful, the tonality and, and everything about it. So how did it start? Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so essentially routine started out as more of something that I was doing for myself. Um, you know, I had struggled a bit in moving to a new country and starting a bit of a high level position without having 
not really a sense of normalcy, I guess you can say. And the only thing I could cling on to was the routines that I could make up in this new space, new country, new cultural dynamic, uh, new job. And so I think because of that, I you know, really craved to kind of understand what was working for other people so that I could combine it within what I was doing whether it was, you know, waking up in the morning and going for a walk or drinking more water or, you know, taking care of my skin, um, you know, all of these things were kind of something that I felt were, you know, crucial elements to being, uh, for lack of a better word, sane in a fast pace. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. I love, I love the concept and I'm such a routine person myself. So <laughs> Um, I definitely know what you mean of just routines providing a sense of normalcy and just sort of that stability. But I, I love that you mentioned that you like routines because me too, I'm, I'm a creature of habit and I, I find that I cling on to routines to, to um, I guess, you know, in a way for comfort, right? But everyone right. has their own version and, you know, whether it's something that's very meticulous or, you know, a process that they follow every single day or, you know, they, everyone has their own opinion and preference, but I guess mm-hmm. to, to open up our dialogue, I would love to start asking you what routine means for you. Well, it very much is. I, I agree. Um, I think we're definitely, you know, being creatures of nature. I think we are creatures of, of habit. And I think it most definitely um, provides us sort of a sense of safety and stability. And it's something that I very much lean on in my everyday life. It could be you know, very, very small things from sort of my, you know, morning coffee routine um, to bigger things and then, you know, making life-changing decisions. I think it's just very much in our human nature and it's it's definitely, um, routines are very much in my nature and um, it helps me. It's sort of a platform mm-hmm. that enables me. Definitely, definitely. And I think it's, it, you mentioned coffee, right? I think often that it's, it's always associated with, with coffee or something that you start in the morning. Um, but it also has this like negative connotation where people feel like, hmm, routine, I have to, to, to do it every day or I have to stick by it. Do you think that's true as well? For me, not so much. I mean, I think when and if routines sort of become um, hindering, I think maybe then it's good to take a break from that routine because for me, routines is something, you know, again, with a positive sort of annotation to it um, and something, you know, that that helps me um, rather than sort of carries me down or puts a weight on my shoulder. And I think it's also okay to take breaks from routines too. Um, and then you could step into it again when, when sort of, when the time feels, you know, more suitable. It's great that you mentioned taking a break because, yeah, it's not meant to be rigid. It's meant to be, you know, if it makes you feel good and it makes you feel happy, it adds value to your life, then, you know, it, it's something that you can pursue. But of course, it's your own preference. You can decide how how you want to practice that routine. So, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so you were born in New York and you're raised in Malmo, which you're currently in now. Um, tell us a bit about your upbringing or, you know, what were some of the routines that you had then? Um, so Malmo is, I, we moved back, my family moved back from New York. I was still a, um, a baby, a small child when we came back to Malmo. Um, so my whole childhood has been um, spent in Malmo, basically. And Malmo is the third largest city of Sweden. And it's right by the water. It's, it's such a nice sort of it's city. I mean, I, I love it. And I'm, I'm so happy to be back after, you know, then 
um, going back yet again to New York. And it's so cool to see my children growing up here too, doing the same things that I used to do, which is, you know, it's, it's a lot of walking. The beach is, you know, just two or three blocks away. So we take regular walks down the beach. Um, I, I like to swim even winter time. Um, trying to keep up that habit. As a kid, throwing yourself on the bike, um, school's just around the corner. So a lot of sort of nearby, in reach, you know, daily activities and, and routines were very much part of my life. And I know that I missed those routines when I moved into New York, when I, I was 18 years old when I moved to New York. So it's funny how that sort of cements itself with you when you're a child. Yeah, it's that foundation that you set, right, very early on. And I think moving to a new town or even just a new neighborhood could be stressful at any point in time, at any age. But there definitely are some studies linked to this that show that frequent relocations, or even if you're, you're, you know, as a family, you were to pick up and move and you have a child who's just at that adjusting age, um, it could be sometimes quite traumatic as well and it can play a role in adulthood. Um, but what's interesting here is also to hear about how your routines back then, you're getting to see them uh, being relived by your children now in the same location. Exactly. And I'm so happy that they can do it so many, you know, so many <laughs> years uh, later. And I'm sure that also provides me with an extra sort of sense of security and since I, I feel like I had, um, you know, a very beautiful upbringing and, and, you know, so happy with the routines that were established when I was a child, I feel sort of secure in the sense that they're getting the same, which is pretty cool. And so what are some of the routines then that you picked up um, from your family? Um, was there anything specific that sticks out to you till today? Um, well, my family's very entrepreneurial and, um, uh, our family company has been in it within our family for more than 100 years. So I think there's definitely sort of work mentality or just, you know, curiosity, a sense of, you know, trying failure for sure, too, to be, you know, sort of open to trying and also to fail because it sort of brings you forward. I think a lot of those um, routines have sort of been with me since a very, very young age, just, you know, just growing up in that environment with my family. And I think the U.S. also boosted some of those things, because one of the things that I really appreciate about the U.S. and, and especially New York, um, we were saying we're both New Yorkers and I'm I, I just I very much love New York and it sort of it gave me that boost of you know anything's possible mm. and you know it may sound like such a cliche but I mean it really is you know um, New York sort of can provide you that stage and the feeling of that you could do anything really and I think that combination has been really really um, great for me in terms of sort of routines that comes with that. Yeah for sure and you're right you know I think New York, you almost have to be a, a New York tough, right? I think, and, and oftentimes I think what that New York tough is, is not necessarily that the city itself is tough, but it's what the culmination of all the types of people that gather in New York bring to that toughness, right? There's a lot of resilience. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of entrepreneurship. There's a lot of competitiveness and that hunger, right? So it, it's interesting that you mentioned having this entrepreneurial and the sense of knowing that failure is actually a, a good thing. It's not necessarily, you know, a, a negative impact. It actually creates a lot of the experience and, and the learnings that are needed, um, you know, in, in our lives to, to be able to 
have that resilience. So definitely agree with you in terms of what that's like, you know, living in a big city and being able to, to, to navigate that. Very much so. I remember I was, I was pretty young. I mean, I'm, I'm 40 now and I'm thinking back to, oh my goodness, I was 18 years old when I moved to New York. I, mean, I don't know if I can only imagine, you know, letting my own daughter move to New York when, you know, once she turns 18. But what was very interesting, um, which I may not have been so prepared for, but which also sort of ended up embracing routines was being alone too, because New York, it's city, it's bustling, it's full of people and it's full of life, but it's also a city where you learn to sort of really just be on your own and be very comfortable in your own company Um, because at the end of the day that's the one person that's the one resource you have and creating routines around that Um, so I very much started doing that you know very early moving um, to New York because then that really provided me with that sort of sense of stability and you know taking it day by day and you know, then days for months and weeks and, and yeah. you know, then years. I loved it, but it's very clear that routines were a big part of my life um, at that point in time also. Do you, I mean, do, does there anything stick out to you in terms of the routines that you had then? Anything specifically? Um, well, I think it was, you know, a lot of it was, was daily life. And I started, um, I lived at a dorm uh, mm-hmm. close to Gramercy Park. And it was so great because I had a key to this park, nice. which was unheard of. And it was, you know, right in the middle of the city, right by Union Square. So I remember I would take small walks in this tiny park, but it was <laughs> just this, this adorable park. And just going a few laps around that park, mm-hmm. that was sort of um, one routine. Um, and then, of course, like other routines, like taking the subway every day was, yeah. you know, very exciting um, and kind of scary in the beginning. And, you know, sitting at a certain bench, having my lunch break or coffee, those were sort of things that sort of stabilized my my days very much. Yeah. And they become so ingrained, right? I think the subway is what you mentioned. It's so true. You know, when I first arrived in, in Kuala Lumpur, I had Googled where the office was for me and it said, oh, it's, it's a 10 minute walk. And um, obviously you've been to Kuala Lumpur, so you know what the city is like. But uh, I decided, yeah, let me let me walk to the office on my first day. And it turns out there's like a, a, a highway right in the middle of, of you know, on the way to work. <laughs> So it's, it's, it's that New York spirit of, you know, oh, I can take the subway or I can walk there and, and yes. nobody really drives. So oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to say the least. I think, yeah, you're right. These routines in, in New York really do, do make it um, very interesting for a lot of folks living there as well. They did. They do. Yes. And I, I was, I started going, I went for school and a lot of the students, um, you know, they were a bit older and they knew the city already. So I was kind of alone in the beginning, again, finding those um, routines of my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they became very important. I remember I used to go to Barnes and Noble and sit there mm-hmm. and read books. And then also to like do fun routines too, like on the weekends or like, oh, this weekend I'm going to treat myself to this. Or I'm going to yes. like, they could be very small treats. But treating yourself to things could also be a very boosting routine, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And there's no shortage of options in New York as well. So that's that's definitely good. 
I want to circle back to the entrepreneurship um, area. Um, as we mentioned before, it has always been a part of your life and growing up, knowing success, knowing failure, um, the family business, of course. Um, and I hope I'm pronouncing this uh, correctly. It's Dukes. Yes, very good. Yes, okay, it's Duke, uh, Duxiana. And Duxiana, yes. And it's also based in Malmo, but I know you guys have had other locations as well. Yes, absolutely. We're in some 40 um, countries. Wow. A couple of stores in New York, actually. Amazing. Um, but we're from Malmo. You know, we're, we're all sort of raised and, and um, still have sort of our headquarters here. There's an office in New York. There's one in Shanghai as well. But it all, it all comes from Sweden originally. For the listeners who are not familiar with Dukes, you guys are in the business of making beds and furniture since 1926, which is impressive to say the least (laughs) (laughs) and you yourself helped propel the company as well as being the CEO of the hotel division as you mentioned Duciana did you always know that this would be in your path yes and no but when I at the time when I moved to New York when I was sort of just becoming a grown-up when I was around 18 years old, I really did not see myself within the company. It's one of the reasons I left for New York really, because I had, um, I was born there and I had this passport. And so I have four brothers. I'm the only girl of, of four brothers. And I had this one thing that they didn't have, which was an American passport. And I was thinking <laughs> to myself, well, I'm going to use this and, you know, do something great of it. And so at that point in time, I was definitely not sort of interested or knew so much about what it would mean going into the family business. I was sort of really set on working creatively. I've always been very creative. So I I ventured off as, you know, studying to become an interior architect and designer and pursued that. Um, And that's what sort of became of my um, New York years initially, especially. So, and you know, Dux, it's always then yet again been a part of me and sort of a, a cradle of where I come from, a presence in the U.S. too. Of course, that was a, a fantastic, great sense of security. But I, I did very much my own thing for, for many years. Even when I then moved back to Sweden from New York, I started my own design company and was still not ready to to venture in into the family company it came then later sort of step by step but it took um, I mean it, it took a good couple of years before I sort of realized that wow maybe there's this great space for me here and and you know maybe I could do great and you know great and, and fun and, and beautiful things for the company too. And, and, you know, especially also together with my brothers, I think it also growing up and everybody sort of reaching a sort of similar level of, you know, join, joining in into this venture together as well. So I guess I wanted to, to touch a bit on you making this decision to go, you know, I think oftentimes um, it's a lot easier to kind of stay in our comfort zones and do the same thing over and over again out of perhaps fear or perhaps you feel vulnerable of, you know, what the next step will be or where it will take you. And, you know, it could be a lot more comforting to stay versus to make a decision to say, actually, you know, what, I want to go, I want to take this leap, or I want to continue on this path, or I want to stop this action and do, you know, another action. Um, how, 
did you decide on on this move? And obviously, you wanted to to see what was was out there. But how? What 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 was the aiding factor in you deciding to to step away from you know the home that you knew and going into this this new city and with these new opportunities and then to pursue this uh, this career in interior architecture? Well, I think it, it took me sort of a couple of years into my adulthood to sort of realize what these. What, what triggers me in going into sort of making bigger decisions. But I, I think also, I didn't probably know it back then um, when I was 18, but I mean, it's it starts with this sort of feeling in, you know, and it's sort of in my belly. It's, it's this sense of curiosity and this sort of yearning of, of just trying something new out. And I think when I, you know, Again, now I'm I'm old enough and hopefully wiser to sort of know when that comes, how to sort of have a, a sort of more pronounced routine on how I go about it. But what I did then, you know, then not knowing sort of what it was, I still sort of sat down and I sort of I did my research. I remember I did a lot of studying and, and finding out about the city and finding out about the school where I wanted to go and you know, research, just trying to gather information. And I think with that information, then I felt secure enough to further pursue and, and to take the actual step. And I can see that being a pattern later in my life as well. Yeah, it's all part about making these informed decisions, right? Having the right information to help you make that decision. But I guess in a sense, are there any routines that you currently practice that allow you to make better decisions or that help you in you know taking on a tough decision? Absolutely. I think this this sort of research part, I mean it it doesn't have to be, you know, super advanced. I tend to sort of read up on, you know, things that are related to or this step may be that I want to sort of take. And again, that provides me with a certain sense of security. I do tend to write. I make notes. I make a lot oh. of um, and I make notes. I mean, it's everything from small little posts. I have post-its all over my house um, <laughs> because I'll get something. It'll pop up in my head sort of when I'm cooking or, or you know, when I'm, you know, making, you know, the children's beds. Or, I mean, it would just be, you know, at any point in time. And then I just sort of write that little keyword down and then I let it marinate. I let it sit. And I think that's also a big part of it. And I, there's a saying, I mean, if you're going to eat an elephant, you can only take, you can only take one bite at a time. Um, <laughs> so even if this, you know, it might be this enormous epiphany of an idea that I may have while I'm, you know, in doing laundry, it, you know, it still starts with writing it down, you know, one or a few words on this post-it. And then it can grow, you know, whatever else it may then grow into and become that bigger or, or smaller step. And again, that provides me with a certain sense of security. And then I'll go back. I mean, again, I'll let it sit and then I'll go back and I'll think, you know, either I'll think, oh, well, you're onto something, you know, or I'll think, well, maybe not, or what were you thinking? But it's a good sort of way to go back and forth. And, and again, it provides me stability into moving forward. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm the same with the sticky notes. I think oftentimes I have too many sticky notes, but it's, you know, it's also a practice of putting it out there, putting it out into the universe. Once it's written, it's, you can reference it back. You can use it at a later time. You can pick it back up. You can use it as inspiration, but it also solidifies it in a way once you've written it down 
if it's an idea, a thought, an intention. Um, yeah, I, I like that approach. That's a great way of expressing it, putting it out into the universe, because that's it's literally what what you do when you do something like that. So that's that's great. So you take this leap and you move to New York, a brand new city, a brand new country, to pursue this new career path. And you become an interior architect and you garner some really good success and you end up working with top names in the industry like Burberry and Tiffany, Ralph Lauren, in rolling out their brand flagship stores. And then you decide to go back to Malmo. Were there any learnings that you took from this journey that you've had that you then applied when you went back to Sweden? Sure. I mean, it was the, it was that same sort of gut feeling that came back to me a couple of years, you know, into um, my New York life. And it just, it grew and grew and, and timing wise, you know, and, and maybe those join in together, interestingly, also in, you know, they, they're parallel. First is the, this, this sort of feeling that comes upon you and then sort of the right timing occurs, which is what happened for me for work. And I thought to myself, well, maybe it's time to go home. Maybe it's time to try something new. I also, I mean, I was, so I was in New York for, I believe it was six or seven years. And I think maybe I can see my life going in little chapters in, with sort of those time increments, if you will. So the timing was right. Timing really is everything. So you're back in Sweden and you join the family business at Dukes and you become the CEO of Dukesiana, which is the hotel division. And after some time and success there, you have this gut feeling again and your entrepreneurship curiosity kicks in and you decide to embark on a new venture, a venture of your own, and you launch Bright which is Sweden's first divorce planning service that provides a seamless end-to-end service of support to those who may be facing this challenging time in their lives. How did it start for you? Well, it started by my own experience initially. And I mean, at that point in time, I, I most definitely didn't have any sort of idea or you know thoughts about creating this platform on my own. It was really just loose thoughts that I had at the time when I found myself in separation and divorce. And I remember thinking to myself, just while I was in the research or trying to find information and and trying to figure out what the steps would be. And I was thinking to myself, well, there there should be something for this. There should be this go-to place where I could find everything joined together because you know, as with many things on the internet today, and I mean, we've definitely learned as a general population where we're, of course, getting much more digitally savvy as day goes by, especially today, and more good at knowing sources and, and where to find relevant or correct information. And I, I struggled with that. So this was um, eight years ago. My separation, it, you know, it happened and it, you know, life continued eventually. Um, lots of learnings, of course, that I could take with me. And, but life sort of, life kept on and, and I was working and, you know, things became better and better again. And then maybe, I think it must have been two, two years ago or so, 
it's sort of it started coming back to me again it's this thing that just it sneaks up upon you and it just started you know it was in my um you know it this feeling in my belly and then very much in my head and you know my brain was just starting to I remember I was checking in and I was googling and I was like somebody didn't anybody do this yet like why didn't they do it or you know what am I missing here or you know what can be done or and then eventually when I realized that nobody had really done it in the way that I sort of started having this picture in front of me of what it could be I thought well I have to try and again I may fail I may succeed but I have to try I have to sort of go with this feeling that I have within me and just you know take that leap and I did I, I love that. I mean, your intuition sense is so strong then because it's also driven a lot of your previous decisions in, in making these leaps. And, you know, starting a business is not an, an easy feat for anyone, um, even though you've had a wealth of experience in the industries that you've worked with and being able to work in multiple locations in the world. But I think it's, it's definitely a, a very intimidating step for a lot of folks to start. And just knowing that you found this demand, right? I mean, statistically, divorce rates across the globe have been on the rise. And couples and families are typically just left to fend for themselves to, to get this, the right support. And during such a challenging time, you still have to also operate, which can become like quicksand for, for a lot of folks. And sometimes there really is no clear solution or just, just the lack of information of what to do from both a cost, and emotional impact. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very hard area to be. So you, you've identified this need and you go on to, to start this business. And I mean, what would you say was the, the most challenging part of starting it? The most challenging part and the scariest part was, like we said before, was really just putting it into the up into the universe. That was so scary because I had done, you know, it went from post-its. Um, to longer pages and it then went into a business plan and it went into sort of more advanced writing and I had let it sit um, but the really scary part was telling somebody another person human being about this idea because I was so afraid that they were going to think you know um, she's crazy <laughs> what is she doing and I but I remember, you know, that was really sort of the aha moment for me because I remember starting to tell one or two people in my close surrounding persons that I really trust. And as I say the words, I'm thinking to myself, I feel like I'm just making this up. Will they take this seriously? Um, and they were then the response was above and beyond. So I, I couldn't have dreamt of a better response. And, and really that response definitely boosted me to continue to take these small steps, these, you know, bite sizes of this elephant and just triggered me to really keep on going. And then once I remember it was formalized, which is, that's about, yeah, almost two years ago when I sort of have all that formal documentation. And then I was thinking to myself, wow, this is for real now. It's really happening. And it's just been this adventure ever since that I'm, I'm so happy for. And many things I wish, I'm glad I didn't know back then that I've you know, come to learn. And that will still be so for, you know, for the future as well. It's that leap of faith, right? And it's like the saying goes, the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones that often do. And as you were starting out and taking this risk, taking this new leap, 
Were there any moments, aside from when you were asking your close confidants about your ideas, where you doubted yourself? Oh, many, many moments. It's this empty map um, that I, I am the designer of this map. And I think especially within this, this subject and this type of, of sort of niche that Enbright is geared into because there is um, no prerequisite. There is nothing really that's been, been done or established in a grander sense for this. So there is no other roadmap to follow either. Um, so in that, you know, I, I try to draw out, you know, a route. And then if that route, you know, doesn't, you know, fall through, of course, I could either, and, and you know, trust me, I do, I doubt um, many things, but again, I do keep coming back to, okay, if this route doesn't work, then I have to find another route, or there must be another route, and I, you know, I have to try and, and sort of challenge myself to see that route, um, or ask somebody else, or, or um, take inspiration from, from other businesses, um, too, for that matter. I think doubting, I think it's very healthy um, to doubt too because it, I think it opens up your mind to other alternatives as well. I agree it's a good practice and a healthy habit to challenge our own opinions and our own ideas. It creates the space to tinker and to even potentially find as you said better alternative routes. So walk us through a bit how it works with Anne Bright. Say if an individual is currently encountering a separation, a divorce, or perhaps they were caught off guard and they're in need of information or some support. How does it work? Would they go on the Enbright website, leave their details, and someone from the team would contact them? Yes, so they would go on the on the website or within soon on on an app that oh, sort of maps out your your journey in your your separation breakup um, or you know actually divorce depending on what the formalities are are behind and it's part community with writers and experts and researchers that that write and provide lots of content daily articles um, checklists um, forums um, so there's this the the notion of the community that's very much on the site and then yes we walk you through the process it could either be digitally or it could be speaking to one of our coordinators in you know real separation or divorce planning wedding planning if you look at the other you know uh, the opposite of it that's very much a, um, a known and established concept today in many countries and cultures whilst divorce planning is not so it is you know very simply put it's the opposite of, of, of wedding planning if you will and it's um it's mainly within three areas which are legal finance and general well-being which could both be physical and mental um, health and they it could be linear but it could also be non-linear but it is a process um, and there are certain steps that needs to be um, followed through, more or less formal then, if you will. So, and there's always a before, a during, and an after as well. And this could this could take time. I mean, the formalities and, and sort of signatures or documentation can be, you know, that can be pretty swiftly done. But this is an, a major thing for most people it's a big happening in somebody's life and for families lives um, for children 
So it's something that you then live with or you learn to sort of create new habits and new routines around life post breakup, divorce or, or separation. And we help with all those aspects. That's great. I, I love that you mentioned about the wedding industry um, or because it's so um, it's so wildly accessible and it's very much commercialized. You, you know, you have options from A through Z, what you can choose from, from high and low. Um, but in terms of a, a separation platform or something that you can kind of just get a little bit of guidance of how to walk through what could otherwise be very overwhelming to a normal individual, let alone someone who maybe does not have um, the access to, you know, the legal work, or they may not understand the rights within that country, all of these things, you know, come into play. So it's definitely a space that I think, you know, needs a little bit more light and, and, and a larger platform for, for others like yourself to, to also bring these solutions to, to the folks out there. Absolutely. That is, it's very well put. And I think the other thing, apart from being a practical or a, a, an actual service or providing actual help within the Enbright space, is also there's a higher sort of um, notion to divorce or separation. It's, it's in many places, it's still stigmatized. It's something that we don't yes. talk about as much. Um, I mean, for centuries, thousands of years, we've also, you know, and, and for reasons, of course, you know, within humanity, you know, it takes two to tango, um, but there's this twosomeness, you know, it's this coupleness um, that's very much cemented within our society. And once we break free from that, it's very hard. And it's not something that we often talk about, even with our friends and with our family. And many people feel shame, they feel guilt. Um, and they struggle with these um, with these issues and, and with these questions. So I think that is, is sort of, and for, for Enbright, very much yet another reason to bring light upon this. Also because it's so, it, it, it happens so much today. We, we would very much as uh, thought leaders, you know, we, we'd like to normalize the process a little bit more because it is exactly that. It is normal and we don't want people to have to feel guilty or ashamed when something like divorce happens because it happens it's life you're right there is a, a a layer of shame that's also been I think pushed through mainstream media and and also from the context of what you mentioned and you know from a family perspective from the family name could come into question you know and I think that still plays a role in in today's uh, world which is we should look at that more from a an accepting and a more understanding because it can be a very overwhelming process and i love that you also mentioned that with this next step with this decision to separate or to perhaps seek support it also brings about new habits or or rather a fresh start a new beginning to starting new routines right because everything will change in that individual's life and so it's relearning what will work for them again as if they pursue this path alone or with someone else and having the support from, like you mentioned, the financial, the legal, and just overall well-being um, could be critical in that time. Absolutely. It's, um, it's a reboot or a, yes. you know, a, a reset in many ways. And beautiful things can come out of it if the right help is there or you know, assistance in handling a certain process um, in a certain way. And, and I think it could really be, you know, a bright 
future in that sense, as, as you build new, new family constellations and, and new ways about going things. Yeah, and it's it's tying up those ends, right? And moving on and having a, a, a blank canvas again and, and feeling good about the prospect of what the future holds. Yes, indeed. So having had your own experience with separation and how challenging that can be, and now being the founder of Anne Bright, what percentage would you attribute it to luck or sheer determination? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of determination and resilience. It really is. And patience. I would say that that is the majority of it. I, you know, I've learned so much about myself, again, about my patience and my non-patience and my endurance. And again, creating new routines for how I can stay resilient and, and sort of also have a margin of sort of an extra layer of energy to, to be able to take from when I need it, when I don't expect to. So I think that's, that's definitely a, a big, big chunk of it. But then again, you know, like we've said here, I think timing and, and luck is, is definitely um, a part of it. Sometimes, you know, you're just in the right place at the right time with the right person and, you know, fantastic things can happen. And maybe it's also, you know, being able to catch up on those moments, giving something a chance that maybe you didn't think would, you know, lead to something initially um, and just putting that time and effort into something. Um, I think life can surprise us in beautiful ways there. Um, and I think that would probably go into that sort of luck category. And it's true. It takes hard work, right? It's something that, you know, you've not only experienced yourself, but also building that out and looking outward on what else you could do in terms of adding value to the community, bringing this new service and this new platform. It's not going to be an easy road. You know, it, it does take hard work as well. So now with a growing community, a variety of resources and solutions from planning tools, as you mentioned, hands-on counseling, advisory services uh, for the members, from a legal perspective, financial and well-being, what's next for Enbright? It's sort of when you're when you were a child and you're growing, but you have this pain in your in your limbs too. So it, it, it's a it's a good type of pain. But we're definitely growing. We are looking into um, venturing out internationally. So that sort of right. again that research and all those post-it notes, they're all starting to come together <laughs> for new pot potential markets. Um, and same thing, you know, growing something like this, it's a lot of practical aspects such as financing and, you know, administrative um, strategies. We've, we've just um, settled and, and finished um, putting together a fantastic board, which is great. It's some fantastic people that run and, and started some, some great ventures. So I'm super excited and I'm nervous about it too, because it's definitely going to put me and the team to the test. So, but again, it's going to be very, very um, exciting. So basically to, to grow the company and to be able to help more, um, more people. Fantastic. Onwards in 2021. We're excited to see what's ahead for Anbright, so we'll definitely be in touch to find out more. But 2020 has definitely been a year of resetting and recalibrating our routines in both business and personal. And for you, there's been some significant milestones from what I understand you guys have received a new round of funding. As you mentioned, you've just been putting together um, a new exciting board that would definitely play a role in your growth. But there's also been a pandemic happening while this is taking place. And you and your team have been keeping the momentum. 
what would you say are some of the routines that have helped you guys during this period? And we're a small team. Um, and we still, through this pandemic, try to really stay um, close in our communication, even though we, um, we've been able to um, meet um, somewhat with, you know, proper distancing and, and all the safety precautions uh, between one another. But one of our routines have really been, you know, really close contact and communication. Um, I think it's so critical because we're also building um, sort of a company, a corporate culture. So we're a team of five, five to six people now. And really, you know, almost on a daily basis, um, being in touch and also celebrating the small victories um, or, uh, you know, uplifting, you know, a great review. Or I mean, it's really in, in the, it's really in the details that makes us strong right now. And I think those routines really, um, they also sort of lay a good platform for, for what's to come, hopefully. It's a good foundation, a good, solid, strong foundation that we're building with many of these small routines that we have in, in sort of our daily, um, our daily life. And I think then also what COVID's done, it's brought a lot of perspective um, to, to, to most people, which is interesting too. Again, it's that map, you know, how do we redraw the map or how do we find new avenues, paths or, or routes with the limitations and also with the possibilities that this pandemic um, may have provided us. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned the culture aspect of it as well, because it is that sense of the continuity within the business of what your vision is and what you've set out to create, but not just externally for the benefit of the wider public, but also how that translates into the culture that you're building inside with your team members. That's definitely crucial for growth. And it's really exciting to hear that, you know, you, you feel so strongly about it. Yes, no, it's it's such a cornerstone, I think. Um, and it, it's just, it's, it's a pleasure for all of us, I think. So Charlotte, what do you think is the next disruptor within your industry? You know, there, there really is no industry in my industry. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, hopefully, and you know, being humble, but yet, you know, very sort of, um, uh, targeted into sort of what the mission that I've set out, you know, to, to hopefully um, do is, is really to sort of start creating and laying the, you know, the, the basic pieces of the puzzle for this industry. Um, I think looking back at COVID, it would also, it will be one of the bigger disruptors, in, you know, in our lifetimes and many, many things that will, will come with that. But specifically for separation or divorce, I think it is the digitalization of it and speaking about it and, and bringing it sort of more into the open agenda in our society. And that could be, you know, anything within our school systems or, or health and medical care, um, as well as, you know, it being um, accepted that something yes. um, like the Enbright service exists. So I'm hoping that will be, um, you know, somewhat of a disruptor in its own. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you guys are pioneering the way because as you mentioned, yeah, there is not a carved out space yet. And it's exciting to see this roll out as a space of acceptance and a space as uh, of support. You know, in my final thoughts, I guess I wanted to wrap up by, you know, hearing from you if you're looking to pick up a new habit and why. 
again, I think this year has provided uh, much perspective and definitely there are some habits that I have picked up and, and that I think I will you know, most definitely continue and, and to pursue. I tend to go back to basics or I, I can see that I've done that this year. Um, I think maybe that's, um, you know, something we see in the grander scheme of things too. We tend to sort of home is where the heart is, you know, we're, we're confined with, you know, a, a select few people in our close surroundings. Um, but again, I tend to go back to basics. I very much, I treasure my sleep. Then again, I come from a family of bed makers, so <laughs> what would not be more appropriate? Um, but I, I can definitely, I notice that I, I care much about my sleeping patterns um, for the past uh, months and, and will you know, continue to, um, to pursue that. Um, and I've taken up my wild swimming again. I've, um, you know, speaking of, of sort of the childhood routines and, and living close to the, the ocean. Um, so just a few days ago, I had a dip in the ocean and it was, wow. I think it was maybe three or four degrees Celsius, but I've never wow. felt better afterwards. <laughs> it's fantastic for the immune system. It just gives you this boost and you just feel so alive. And there are fantastic people that can do, I have one of my neighbors, she does it every day, which I don't think I can keep up with that routine. But if I could do it, you know, every once in a blue moon, I most definitely will pick up that routine as well. It just makes me feel so alive and kicking. That is fantastic. I mean, just hearing about it is giving me chills because, you know, going into the water at, at that temperature, I, I mean, that is determination right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but so worth it. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, there is, I love that you mentioned sleep and obviously it's so fitting, of course, with your background, but you know, sleep from, from a cognitive behavior, from, you know, being able to have a better memory. It's so powerful and, and having quality sleep, especially when you're, you know, you're, you have a lot on your mind or you're, you're running a business in this case, um, you know, it, it can be challenging. So it's great to hear that you're also prioritizing that as part of one of the habits that you want to, to also focus on. Yes. It's so important. It's just, yes, I can't stress that enough. Um, it how what it does for our mental well-being and 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 the physical well-being also and that is I think that's the one key thing that allows me to sort of work and create and and live the way I do is sleep. That was Charlotte Young, founder of Anbright. Anbright is Sweden's first online platform and community hands-on facilitator and digital service for divorce and separation. You can check them out at endbright.se and follow their Instagram for all the latest information at endbright underscore official. This is the Routine Podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. You can hear all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at routine.co for all the latest good habits. Mm-hmm.